Good morning, everyone. It is straight up 11 o'clock. Just jumping on for Bible study today. I forgot to shut the door to my office, so let me go do that. And jump back in. Didn't want to. Uh, didn't want to be uh, too noisy for the office out here. And I see Debbie uh, and Mark clicking in. Hey, good to see you guys. I want to just welcome you all on this beautiful fall weather day. Wow, it's gorgeous. I was just stepped outside for a few minutes, and wow, didn't want to come back inside. Too much ambient noise outside, but this is the kind of day where I'd love to just do Bible study uh, sitting outdoors. That would be kind of fun. But thanks for joining today. For all those who are going to be listening in later, uh, I see Jerry, Dennis. Thanks, guys. Good to see you guys. We are, uh, we are in Luke chapter 6. I want you to, to make sure you've taken time to grab your, your coffee. Hi, Beverly. Uh, I'm, today, I'm, I'm doing Starbucks. I haven't been to Starbucks but twice since the whole pandemic shutdown started. And uh, just it's just not the same. It's just talk about culture change. It's really, really different. Um, and, I, and I've always been a big Starbucks fan and... Uh, but on my way down here to the counseling office today, I picked up a cup of Starbucks, and uh, it's good. I love it. I haven't had it in a long time, mm. but it is just not the same culturally to go in there. And I'm, I, I don't know. We're, it just reminds us how, you know, we're all yearning for some kind of normalcy in life, and uh, how we're going to get there. We're struggling with how do we get there. Uh, you know, I was. I was in a Starbucks the other day, the, the second time I was in it, and there was uh, just two people, myself and another group, and they were, you know, we were 30 feet apart, and that other group was 30 foot from the nearest person, and, and it was just, you know, the, there was a group of young girls, I think, studying, and hi, there's Peggy, I saw, and uh, good to see you all, uh, and uh, Dennis just shared, good morning, the prayer request I had last week, Robert. He is still hanging on in ICU. Well, we're going to continue to pray for Robert. Thank you, Dennis, for giving us that update. We're just trusting God. Praise God, he's still hanging on. We're going to trust him for his, uh, for his healing. So thanks for sharing. And anytime anybody has anything at all, just put it on the screen there and, and let's share it and talk about it and pray about it. But I was just saying, you know, in the Starbucks, they just kept, the barista just kept yelling at the people, on the, these young girls that were trying to study you know, hey girls, if you don't have your, if you're not drinking your coffee, you have to have your mask on. I mean, there were, there's no one else in there. They're 30 foot away, and you know how it is. If you're a coffee drinker, you do this all the time, and it just got to be too much to put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. You know, it just, it just kind of put a damper on the whole feeling. You enter a restaurant, they don't do that. You know, you. If you're sitting at your table eating your food and talking with your friends, you don't have to have it on in between every bite. And I don't know. It just kind of really put a damper on that experience. So just, just this morning, ran in there to get my cup of coffee and just realized again how different the culture is all of a sudden, how much we've changed overnight. Um, so we're all struggling through together, right? Well, it helps to have the word of the Lord. And this morning in Luke chapter six, part five, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, or as Luke calls it, the Sermon on the Plain. And I want to, I want to talk to you this morning about what I believe Jesus is offering us as the true nature of a disciple. 
there are three questions that I want to ask after looking at this scripture. I believe Jesus asked these questions. He doesn't do it specifically in the text, but I believe that's what he's asking us. These three questions, and, and we'll approach those as we get into the scripture. But I want to say first that I, the very nature of what we're about to talk about uh, causes me to just want to say humbly, uh, I am honored that you listen to this Bible study, that you check in here. Um, uh, hi, Judith. Good to have you here. I'm glad you got ready in time. But I, I don't, I mean, here's, here's something that I try to live by. We cannot teach what we do not know. We cannot lead others where we are not ourselves. And uh, I'm really trying to live out the word of God as best I can in my life. And I know you are too. And I'm humbled that you would even listen to me as a Bible teacher because there are so many people much smarter than me. Uh, but, uh, but yet God has laid on my heart to teach these things. So together, we're going to learn them. Lexi, thanks for joining in today, Lexi. Uh, we're just going to try and learn to be the best disciples we can be. But we're going to have to answer three really tough questions from Jesus in today's text. So if you have a prayer card, and if you don't, you can get it. Open up the photos on Brad Riley Ministries' Facebook page. And under photos, there's this prayer prayer card. This is what we always pray before the study of Scripture. So I know you'll pray it aloud in your living room there with me. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in this prayer before we study Scripture. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you alone, our Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies. And unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thanks for praying that. I need to quickly turn on the audio feed here because I got the, got the video feed going just right at the last minute and forgot the audio, but it is ready now. So we're ready. Well, let's look at the text together. This is chapter 6, and it is verse 39. 39 to the end of the chapter. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully taught will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck, to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorns, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation upon rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But he who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation, against which the stream broke and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jared, thanks for uh, watching in today. Good to see you. Well, let me give you the three questions I think Jesus is asking us if we're going to be truly his disciple, the nature of a true disciple. And then we'll just break them down scripturally. Number one, I think he's asking us, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Number two, I think he's asking us, where are you going to go get your truth? Where are you going to go get your truth? Number three, I think he's asking, what are you going to do with this truth? What are you going to do with the truth? Now, I break all that down this way. Jesus begins this section. This is the last of his words of of this Sermon on the Plain, if you will. This isn't just necessarily one sermon like we would write a sermon today. Um, Rabbinic teaching, and Jesus was teaching in a rabbinic style, no doubt. Rabbinic teaching was kind of these pearls of wisdom all strung together like beads. So it doesn't read or feel like a sermon. Indeed, it may not have been a particular sermon given, but rather Matthew and Luke collect a lot of the sayings of Jesus, knowing that he taught these things, and he did indeed teach on that mountainside and down by the Lake of Galilee and so many other places. But what we're hearing is the collected wisdom of Jesus to speak to us about how we want to be his disciples. And what it takes to be his disciple. Because all around him, as you recall, there are Pharisees. And they're listening to every word. And they're picking at Jesus every word. They're trying to to trip him up. They're trying to uh, call him out. And so Jesus has his followers around. He has the Pharisees and they have their followers around. And then there are, of course, the crowd. The crowd's trying to figure out which group do we follow. And and so there comes the first question. Jesus is showing a clear contrast between his teachings and the Pharisees' teachings. He's just laying it out for them. And he does that beautifully, almost really, not really sarcastic. I mean, he he just says it. Will the blind follow the blind? What is he saying? He's saying the Pharisees are blind. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, Circle that word, hears and does. It's not enough to just hear, but do. Jesus is continually pointing out that his life backs up what he says. The Pharisees' lives do not back up what they teach. So he's setting a clear contrast for his followers on who to follow. Because the Pharisees were like, the, they were like the gurus of the Jewish faith. I mean, everybody wanted to, to follow them. They were the teachers of the law. They were, they were these great 
founts of wisdom and highly respected members of the community. So there, they were, they were no doubt had a big following, but it was also a very frustrated following because the frustration was that as Jesus points out in other places, he says, you teach people to do what you can't even do yourselves. You, you hang weights around their neck and you can't even carry those weights. But not so with Jesus. See, the, the Jesus' teachings are in, incredibly deep and profound and, and uh, not that easy to live out, absent the power of the Spirit of God. But with the power of the Spirit of God, that makes all the difference. So let's look at what he's teaching to do. He, he begins with this, this, you know, this blind man following, a, following the blind. And he says, will not they both fall into a pit? And this next verse, verse 40, is a very important verse. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully taught, will be like his teacher. There's a truth here that I'm not sure we understand. And that is that none of us will ever be greater than our teachers, those that teach us. The goal in life isn't to get so much knowledge that we actually get greater than the people that taught us. That's not the goal. That's not humility. Jesus is teaching a principle, and that is that he's the teacher. He's God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the fount of wisdom. And there is such a thing as becoming fully taught by Jesus. I love that. Do, do we want to become fully taught by Jesus? I think that involves knowing that he's truly our one true guide, our one true teacher, and that the fullness of truth can only be found in him. And that's where we're coming to get our actual, uh, our, our livelihoods, everything we do, everything we think, everything we, we, we do. And so he's saying if we'll do that, if we'll realize that we don't, we're not trying to be greater than our teacher, but we want to be fully taught by our teacher. And then it says we will be like our teacher. Isn't that what we want? We want to be like Jesus. Jesus began a movement of followers who were to call to be like him. Not to be greater than him, not to be different from him, but to be like him. Indeed, that's the, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the Christian faith, is that we want to be like Jesus. Not just in the way we think, but in the way we do. This passage, this whole passage, this whole sermon, hearing and doing are two different things, and he continually points that out. Um, I have a couple of quotes I want to give you this morning from, um, from William Barclay, one of my favorite Bible commentators of the 20th century. Uh, he was a Scot from the Church of Scotland. Has some really wise things to say. But as Jesus moves past this point about being uh, like their teacher, he in verses 41 and 42, we, we hear him talk about this. We've heard this so many times. This, you know, why do you, why do you uh, seek uh, to take the speck out of your brother's eye and you don't even know the log that's in your own eye? Clearly, Jesus is using hyperbolic language here. We don't really have logs in our eyes. We can certainly have specks in our eyes. But he's teaching a point, and I think we're always in danger of missing the point. 
so many times I've heard people think, and, and I've, guilt, I've been guilty of this in the past too, of having thought that, well, it's okay to try and take the speck out of your brother's eye as long as you've first cleared everything out of yours and you know your spirit is right and you're going to try to take the speck out of his. I don't believe that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. I think Jesus is trying to teach us about humility. And he's trying to teach us that when we try to criticize others, and wow, that's a huge thing. That's a huge problem. I, I'm guilty as you are, I'm sure, but being of a critical spirit too many times. Because that's not the spirit of Christ. A critical spirit is not the spirit of Christ. But when we try to criticize others, we, we should realize we don't have any ground to do that because there's so much in, so much in us that can be criticized as well. So think about it this way. Barclay says this. He says, this simply means that we have no right to criticize at all because there is so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us that it ill becomes any of us to find fault with the rest of us. That's, that's kind of a fun uh, way to say it. I'm going to read it again to you so you make sure you follow with me. There's so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us that it ill becomes any of us to find fault with the rest of us. I love that saying. I just believe it speaks truth that uh, rather than spend our time criticizing our brothers and sisters, let's spend our time trying to become like our teacher, trying to live our life, choosing who it is we're going to follow. We cannot, Jesus said it often, you cannot serve two masters. We cannot follow the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. We cannot live with one foot in both camps. This is getting to be a really difficult thing to do. It, it, not that it was ever easy, but it's getting harder to be done in our American way of life, our Western culture, as the influence and the uh, appreciation for and the respect for Christian faith uh, deteriorates in our world. Make no mistake, Christianity is waning in the Western world. We do not do ourselves or our Christian faith or the gospel any good by trying to compromise with the ways that the world is deteriorating. Because it's not going to respect us in the end after we've compromised. Evil has no, Satan, you know, Satan and Christ have no common ground. Okay? And there is great evil that is befalling our culture in many, 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 many ways. And we have to decide who are we going to follow. I think a day is coming that, that we as Christians right here in the freest land that has ever, that has ever uh, probably occupied any land in people's time on earth, we have to decide who we're going to follow because that freedom very well may one day be at stake and we may not have it. We are so used to being the freest people in the world. We don't know how our Christian faith would look or how we would even live it if we didn't have all these present feelings. And I see Cindy Riley and Neva Riley, thanks uh, for checking in on us this morning. So we're hearing some tough words from Jesus today. These are tough words to live out. 
to, to lay down that critical spirit of our brother and to th- worry about all that's bad in us that we need to take care of by choosing to follow Jesus and listening and doing what he says. So as proof of this, Jesus just goes on to say in verse 43 then, uh, he says, you know, you know, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. You can't get the opposite. You can't go to, it's just common sense, you can't go to a cherry tree and expect to find an apple. You can't go to a fig tree and, a, and expect to find thorns, and you don't go to a thorn tree and expect to find figs. We've got to choose who we're going to follow, and we've got to decide. This is the second question I think Jesus is asking us. We have to decide where we're going to find our truth, because we won't find it in multiple places. It's a difficult thought, but there is not truth in many different places. Okay, there's only one truth, and that one truth is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. So we have to decide where we're going to find our truth. We can't keep going to bad trees and expecting we're going to get good things or good outcomes or good fruit. And, and in fact, Jesus is telling us here that he says, your, your discipleship is telling on you. Your own discipleship is telling on you because everyone can see. Boy, these are haunting words, what what Jesus says to us here, what I'm about to tell you. These are haunting words, and they should haunt all of us. He says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks Again, I'm going to give you a quote from Barclay because I think this is really good. Uh, he says, It was said of a teacher once, I cannot hear what you say for listening to what you are. I guess this is my morning for proverbial wisdom. <laughs> I love, and it's not wisdom for me, I'm just giving it to you from, from people I respect. I cannot hear what you say for listening to what you are. Our actions truly do speak louder than our words. Our actions are the fruit that's hanging on our tree. It's not our wisdom, pearls of wisdom that we think we have stored up in our mind. Whatever we know about the faith and whatever we so-called believe about the faith, that's that's not the fruit. The fruit is what's coming out of our mouths. The fruit is what's stored up in our hearts because that's what comes out. So in a very real sense, our mouths betray us. That's what Jesus is saying. Our mouths betray us. And of course, there's a lot more said about this from the book of James, which of course is interesting because James was one of the uh, brothers of the Lord. And so we hear in James' writings, you know, this is a guy that grew up with Jesus. And he had a lot to say about the tongue and the mouth and out of evil uh, comes uh, out of the heart of the believer and that should not happen. Both curses and blessings should not come out of the mouth of a believer. I mean, there's so much to say. I think I pulled up some things here. Let me click on another page and, and, and just read them for you. I mean, the scripture has so much to say about this. If we look back at the, just in the book of Proverbs alone, Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
Proverbs 16.23, from a wise man comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Uh, Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. That's a tough one. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Again, our, our mouths betray us to what we are, what we really are on the inside. Um, I like this one, Proverbs 16, 24. For kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. That's beautiful, isn't it? Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy to the body. And then um, there's uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Can't miss that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, you want to talk about why it's so important what we say in the presence of others, what we do in the presence of others, because it is what either builds them up or tears them down. Again, I'm not perfect at this. I'm condemned. I am convicted as I even read and prepare and come to teach you today. And that's why I said in the beginning, it's humbling to me that anyone would even listen to these uh, podcasts and Bible studies and sermons because uh, I just, I'm not fully taught by Jesus yet, but I want to be. And I want to be like my teacher. I want, and that is Jesus Christ. So, moving on in the scripture this morning, um, Jesus says, verse 46, he just asked him the question, why do you call me Lord? Why do you even bother calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? It's a great question to ask a lot of believers today, isn't it? Why do we even bother? Why bother being a Christian if you're not going to live as a Christian? Because the truth is, when you say you're a Christian, but yet don't live as a Christian, you do more harm for the gospel. I think that's part, a big part to blame of why the Christian church in our Western society is uh, on such a decline. Because followers, like this great crowd looking at the Pharisees and looking at Jesus, followers have looked on at the church, they've looked on at Christians, and they've said, wow, they're just as evil as everybody else. They're just as bad as everybody else. What has their God done for them? I don't really need that in my life. So the fact is, a wise man once said, true Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. True Christianity has not been tried. Boy, that's, a, that's one to really think on, one to really ponder. What is it we're trying to accomplish as disciples of Jesus Christ? We're not trying to be greater than Jesus. We're not trying to call attention to ourselves. We want to lead people to Christ through our words and through our actions. Well, Jesus goes on to say, he's got one more big question that he's talking to everyone about here. In verses 43 through 46, um, no, I'm sorry, beyond that, after verse 46, verses 47 through 49, Jesus is going to make a comparison here about how we build our lives. And he begins that comparison with 
reiterating this thought, everyone, verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, well, that's the guy that builds on the strong foundation. He says he, he built his house, he dug deep, he says, and he found bedrock. He laid the foundation on rock that would not shift. No matter what storms come, no matter what flood comes, it wouldn't shift because it's on the rock. That's only the person that hears and does. But he goes on to contrast that the one who, in, in verse 49, but he who hears and does not is like one who's building his house. On Matthew says on the sand. Here he says, is just built on the ground without a foundation. And when the same storms come, the same winds blow, it falls. It has a crash. In fact, he says, and immediately it falls. And the ruin of that house was great. Why? I think, why was the ruin so great? People's, if, if the house is a metaphor for our lives, and it is, and people's lives are ruined every day, it's a much great, I mean, there are, that's a horrible thought. But the truth is, when it's the life of one who professes to be a Christian and really hasn't done what Jesus didn't do the part. They just they just heard Jesus, but then they didn't do it. That crash is even greater because when it comes, it does so much damage to the cause of Christ. And we can think of lots of notable people uh, who have fallen from grace, if you will. And, and, and that is kind of what I'm talking about, but it's not all of what I'm talking about. I think this is so relevant today. Um, I'm going to read you another quote from Barclay today. This is my day for Barclay, I guess. Three quotes from Barclay and one Bible study. Um, usually I, I use a lot of the ancient Christian fathers, but, but, but when we, we find wisdom in every century, so we're going to use it from every century. But I find this extremely relevant to today in the world and things we're facing today in our world. Barclay says this, he says, and this, remember this is written in the 1950s, okay? Somewhere in the 1950s he put out this Bible study. We fear the menace of communism and of other secular movements. We will never defeat these movements by writing books and pamphlets and holding discussion groups. Okay, now let me, let me say first, here's, what we're doing here today is having a discussion group. I mean, I'm inviting you to have discussion with me. We're talking about our faith. Uh, and John Hull, Pastor John, thanks for joining in today. Um, he said, we fear the menace of communism and other secular movements. Well, that's just very much alive today. We fear the, the forms of, of government like communism and, and other things like that, Marxism, that that seem to strike, uh, that, that on the surface say they strike such a, a blow for equality, but yet we know they don't, they never have. There's always been the haves and have-nots in every single culture, and certainly in every communist culture as well. And, uh, and the lack of freedom and oppression has been great in every communist and Marxist culture. And, and we have today, that's very much on the rise. It wasn't just the 1950s when Barclay wrote this, but even very much today. So, so I think this is relevant. And he says, we will never defeat these movements by writing books and pamphlets and holding discussion groups. The only way 
to prove the superiority of Christianity is to show by our lives that it produces better men and women. Wow. Notice that Barclay is is contrasting Christianity with communism and or, you know, we would say Marxism or other types of government like that. Types of systems of governing people. Because truly, at the root of any communist philosophy is a disbelief in God. That's why it's very anti-Christian. Christianity and communism cannot... There, I know that there are some people that think the gospel actually teaches uh, communism, that they held all things in common in the, in the book of Acts. It does not. Christianity and communism have nothing together. We can love everyone. We can treat everyone as equals. We can, we can be willing to give everything that we have for the sake of others. But that doesn't mean we have to force that, the lack of ownership and the lack of... of uh, of freedom and the lack of, uh, of the, the basic essential freedoms like speech and other things that we hold dear in, in our country doesn't mean we have to give them up to prove it. We prove it by the way we live if we're Christians. He says that's the only thing that will defeat it if we're Christians. But the way the superiority of Christianity is to show by our lives that it produces better men and women. There should be no better men and women produced in our world than those that name the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why the third question that I believe Jesus is asking us in this study today is he's asking, what are you going to do with this truth? Jesus is truth. He is the truth. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to just keep him as a belief system? He's a great moral teacher. Boy, I love Jesus. He's great, isn't he? Or are you going to let him really get into the fabric of your life and let his way, his spirit, dictate all of your decisions, not just some. Let his way and his words and his spirit be what moves you to speak, what, what, what comes out of the wellspring of your heart, as Jesus says. That's what we must do. That's what we must preach. That's what we must teach. Well, as we're going to see as we continue through the Gospel of Luke, one of the reasons I like to spend a lot of Bible study time in the Gospels is because Jesus just shows us what is sin and what isn't sin. Jesus shows us how to live and how not to live. And we have a problem in our culture today. In our church culture, we have a problem. In our church culture today, we are so, and I'm not nailing any particular denomination here. I, I think we all struggle with it. We are so bent on people-pleasing. We're so bent on the laws of attraction. There's nothing wrong with doing things or holding events or doing things to get people in that they might hear and see Christ, but we better make sure that once they're in, we're telling them the full gospel because this is where we're falling down. We're too bent on people-pleasing, and we're not preaching about sin anymore. There's no, I don't think there's been a book written about sin in the last 20 years. I could be wrong. Certainly not on any best-selling list or any theological class uh, or, or study. Everybody's afraid to talk about it. 
well, let's just don't talk about that. Well, you know, that's all Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about sin is the, sin is, it has no place in the life of the believer. He came to show us how to live a life above sin, a life of love, a life of compassion. Yes, a life of justice. All of the buzzwords that we hear today, the, those the, like social justice and all these things, they cannot have any truth if, they, if they're not steeped in the equality of all peoples, not just the ones that think like we do, not just the ones in a particular group. Um, well, I, I don't want to get political at all. I'm just saying I truly believe the church of Jesus Christ has to stand up. The churches of Jesus Christ in our world today have to stand up and start preaching the gospel truth. There is a way that leads to destruction, and we are rapidly descending on it in our culture. And where are the voices that are calling people away from it or alerting people to the danger? They're too far and too few between. I think we've had enough of feel-good Christianity. Uh, now, everything needs to be measured in doses, right? You know, you can't just get in your pulpits. I'm, I know there's a few pastors that regularly watch this, listen to this Bible study. You can't just get in your cultures and rail at people or going to hell. I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about hellfire and brimstone. I'm talking about reality, just teaching them the truth as Jesus did, in love. St. Paul says that. He says that we must speak the truth in love because that's what wins people the addict wants to know that their addiction is wrong and they want to know how to be saved from it they don't want to know that they're just being told they're bad that's not that's not the it's not the issue they're not bad they're just a human with struggles that Jesus came and died for and that Jesus reached down and touched and that Jesus had dinner with and that Jesus loved on and that ultimately Jesus saved. So, uh, I'll get off my soapbox a little bit here. We're, we've come through the whole Sermon on the Mount as Luke would tell it, the Sermon on the Plain. We're going to transition in to uh, one of my favorite stories in, in the Luke chapter 7, which is the healing of the centurion slave, the Roman centurion slave. That'll, that'll be for next week. But I want you to hear, as we kind of close this thought here today, uh, I, want, I want you to hear, uh, this is a thought from St. Augustine. Just going to let this be kind of our closing thought today. Let us consider the scripture of God as being a field where we want to build something. I'm going to say that again. Let us consider the scripture of God. Okay, the, the, the holy scriptures, the holy Bible, okay? The scriptures that teach us. This is Jesus teaching us, okay, how to live. St. Augustine says, Let us consider the scriptures of God as being a field where we want to build something. 
Let us not be lazy or content with the surface. Let us dig more deeply until we come to rock. Now the rock was Christ. That's what we're trying to do in this Bible study. That's why it takes me, besides the fact that I talk too much, that it takes me so long to go through one book or one chapter because I want us to dig for the real rock. Not just the surface meaning of the scripture. The real rock, the real truth, the real bedrock. And the rock is Christ. I love that image. I just was preaching last week uh, in my sermon last week from the book of Exodus of the when Moses struck the rock and water from the rock was was uh, given to the people in the in the desert in the wilderness to drink been preaching a series that I'm done with now that was called through the wilderness and trying to look at the pandemic life that we're in right now as a wilderness and and how God took care of the people even though they grumbled at him and wanted to turn back and and all kinds of things but uh, that water from the rock and and Paul tells us then in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, that rock, he says, telling, talking about the story back in Exodus, he says, you remember that rock? That rock was Jesus Christ. Judy says here, I love it when you get on your soapbox <laughs> teaching us how to live. You're too kind, Judith. Too kind. Um, that rock was Jesus Christ. And, it, and you, interestingly enough, the rock that, that Moses, that God led them to, he said, Moses, I'm going to go before you. I want you to go to that rock. That rock was Mount Horeb. Read it in Exodus 17. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Okay, same place where Moses met God. So many, he, he said, that's where he wanted to take them so that they could get their thirst quenched by the rock that is Christ. That was a very, very Beautiful metaphor for us to understand that Christ is the rock that satisfies. Christ is the rock that we can build a foundation on. And if what we think or what we believe doesn't measure up with the words of Christ, then we've got a problem. And that's my point. There's so many, there are so many things about life and relationships and things being tolerated in our world that are sinful by the words of Jesus, not by the words of me. And, and that, that we've got, we're not even close to building on rock in, in a lot of churches today. So I believe in revival. I believe in a spirit of revival. I believe, every, I believe the church in every age needs revival because we can't live on the spirit that our forefathers, our mothers and fathers or grandfathers had. We need to have the power of the spirit in our life. So the church is always in need of revival. The church is always in need of reformation because people are always teaching things in error. And we must always come back to the truth of the word. And that's what we hand on to the next generation. And we're in danger of handing the next generation absolutely nothing of any strength or value. We've compromised the gospel in so many places in this world that we are not handing on anything. And like I said in the, earlier in, in this podcast, I said, we're not doing the gospel any favor, and we're ultimately not doing ourselves any favor if we compromise with the world, if we compromise to make peace with the world, if we compromise to live with the sinful ways of the world. I mean, that's the story of the people of Israel over and over and over again. They compromised with ba the Baal worshipers. They compromised with everyone. 
and until everything they had was taken away from them. Well, there's a there's an incredible. I'm not a prophet, okay, and I don't want to be held to a prophet's reward uh, or revenge. But but what we have may be taken away if we keep compromising. Um, well, there's so much more to say, but you didn't come today for a sermon. Uh, you came to help study the Gospel of Luke with me. So let St. Augustine's words be our final words today. Let the scriptures of God be like a field that we want to build on. And we're going to dig deep into that field. And when we dig deep, what we're going to find is the rock that is Jesus Christ. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm humbled that you even pay attention at all. I'm humbled that there's one person that even listens on this. And, and uh, I don't know if you could see a call was coming through there or not. I just had to click it off. But uh, thank you for joining me. Let me pray for Let's remember the prayer request that Dennis shared with us uh, last week. And he gave us an update. Robert Grosh, who's in ICU. I, I th and I'm remembering that he had... Uh, that he had uh, COVID, was put on a respirator, and very serious in ICU. Let's remember to pray for, for Robert. We believe in the healing power of God. Sandra, thank you. Truth spoken, thank you. You're welcome. But let us pray as we close our time together. Thank you for being with me today. Let me pray for you. Father God, for each person listening today, joining this discussion, for each person who will ever watch this, Father God, would you bless them with a spirit of conviction? If there be any way within me or within them, within any of us that needs reform, that needs renewal, and yes, I know there's plenty in me, then Father, let us humbly repent. Let us turn from our wicked ways. We pray for your healing. Heal us that we may be the light, as the, as the evening prayer, prayer that oh, Gladsome Light talks about, the light, or, or the song of Simeon, I mean, the light to the world. Let us be the light of Christ to this world. Not just the word of Christ, but the light of Christ through our actions and the way we live. God bless Robert in ICU right now. Healing grace be upon him in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this group listening today. God bless them as we close our time together. Lead us on, O King Eternal. Amen. We pray this in Jesus' strong name, who lives with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for joining me. See you next week.